Hey, if you're over 40, trying to conceive, pregnant, or postpartum, I have just the community for you. Our private community, 4040 Society, is now open. I know how tough trying to conceive can be, and pregnancy can be just as hard. But it doesn't have to be. Inside the community, be surrounded by other women who are just like you. Connect, share your journey, join the discussion, and have a voice in live event conversations. To join, find the link in the show notes or go to over40fabulousandpregnant.com forward slash join. I can't wait to see you inside. Welcome to Over 40, Fabulous and Pregnant. I am your host, Jamie Massey, and you're listening to episode 68. If you are looking for pregnancy stories of women over 40, you've come to the right place. Today on the show, we have Janice on to share her pregnancy journey at 46. In this episode, she shares that she's had five kids naturally, but in her 20s. And so when she gets in her 40s with a new partner, she struggles to conceive. So to answer your question, she used donor eggs. She's actually one of the few guests that didn't try with her own eggs before going with donor eggs. All of her previous births in her 20s were home births. So she tells us why she ended up with a hospital birth this time. And for my update, today I am a little over 16 weeks pregnant. Three years to get here. It's so exciting every day. I'm sneaking up to the halfway mark, which is just so exciting. We did get our NIP test results, and I'm so happy everything is normal. The NIP test, just as a reminder, it tests for genetic abnormalities like Down syndrome and trisomy, etc. So that was really exciting to get good news. But I have been having so much back pain and hip pain when I wake up. So if it's not those pains, then I'm rushing to the toilet. So fun, and I'm so happy I get to complain about it. But today I'm going to keep it a little short and sweet. Janice is a nurse, so she gives amazing details. And this episode is just a little longer than our normal episode. But I know you're going to like it. It's such a good story. So let's get on with the show. Janice, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Janice is sharing her pregnancy journey with donor eggs at 46. But before we get started with her story, will you first tell us a little bit about yourself? 
Sure. My name is Janice. I'm 46. I live in Western North Carolina. I have five children before my my Remy that uh, is three months old right now is my donor egg story. My partner has five um, children also. So together we have 11 kids, which is wild. Amazing. Um, I am a registered nurse. I've been in uh, psychiatric nursing the last eight years, but I have just recently obtained my IBCLC certification and want to make a career change doing that eventually. That's an international board certified lactation consultant. Oh, awesome. And I currently am just orienting for a new job to do a remote nursing job from home for the next little while so that I can be at home with the baby. I don't think I'm going to go back to work at the hospital, which I'm really excited about. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. So you're three months postpartum. Yes. And so you started having babies in your 20s. Actually, all of your other babies were in your 20s. So tell us a little bit about how those went. Yeah, very easy. Um, I was very young. I got pregnant at 20 with my first mm-hmm. and um, it was a very smooth pregnancy. I, um, I'm i really thankful that I had a friend who I would have just prepared like a regular birth, um, very mainstream, like hospital birth. I really didn't know anything about home birth or like natural birth or anything like that. But I had a friend at the time who was also pregnant. She was more like an acquaintance and we became good friends after being pregnant together. Um, but she introduced me to the spiritual midwifery book by Ina Mae Gaskin. Oh, yes. And there was, we lived in Memphis, Tennessee at the time. Um, my ex-husband was from Tennessee. So we lived there and we started going to these classes. They had a, it was called home birth midwifery service, mm-hmm. they had childbirth classes, and you met with the midwives. And if you were a good candidate for home birth, you got to plan a home birth and insurance paid for it. And so I was really young and I was, I, I just feel super fortunate that that was my first experience into being pregnant and, and having a baby because yeah, I, I planned that and I had a home birth, successful home birth with my first. And then with all of my other kids from my former relationship, they were all home births. So I even oh, had wonderful. a, I had a set of twins. Uh, my 17 year olds are my the next youngest besides Remy. And they were, they were even born at home. We lived in a different state. We moved to Asheville after the first. And so all uh, the rest of them were born at home as well. And my pregnancies were super, super easy. I was young from 20 to 29 years old with all of them and absolutely no complications. Yeah. I'm very, besides the first, they were all like super quick labors. It was my First was born very typical, like going into labor when I woke up in the morning and then he was born by 1 a.m. the next day. So pretty much just like light labor all day and then about four hours of active labor. That was extremely hard. I didn't remember how hard it was, but I actually watched the video pretty recently (laughs) Uh, before I gave birth this time to kind of prepare me. And it was, it was super like I had to really work hard to push that first baby out, but all of the rest of them, they literally just came out with contractions. I mean, I couldn't, 
I, I couldn't be more blessed with the way that the rest of my my kids were born. They in my twenties, <laughs> mm-hmm. they were just they were born super quick, and I mean it was hard, but it was so fast that it was just it was so different than <laughs> so different than my recent birth for sure. Mm-hmm. So you found your new fiance. How old were you whenever y'all got together? I was thirty nine. Okay. And he was 47, 46, I believe, 46, yes. And so y'all started trying. And so what what did that look like? Yeah, we started trying. We've been together now for seven years. Mm-hmm. We started trying in 2018 when I was, well, we decided we wanted to have another when I was 41, I believe. And unfortunately, he had a vasectomy. Uh-oh. So we so we planned we talked about it and we planned that we really really wanted to do this and we decided to go the vasectomy reversal route. Mm-hmm. So January of 2019 he had a vasectomy reversal and I thought and I remember hearing other people on the podcast someone had had gone through that and they were like I thought for the longest time it just didn't work. Because after that, you know, and, and I was the same way. I was very skeptical skeptical of the reversal mm-hmm. um, for, for many months, you know, wondering, is that why we're not getting pregnant? But yeah, so we had to do that. And then we started trying immediately. And after about six months, we went the fertility clinic route. And the so the first clinic that we went to, we really did not like at all. It was, it was, they were super it was just weird. I don't know how to describe it. It was very much like they just wanted immediately, they would, you know, immediately to go like straight to IVF and they wouldn't really give us a chance or listen to us or let us really have the conversation of what we were trying to do, which in retrospect, I guess it's kind of weird because maybe if we would have straight gone straight to IVF, I, I would have like used my own eggs, but that's not the way that it was supposed to to be not the way that it was supposed to turn out. Mm-hmm. But I really do. I think that it's really important for people to, to really vibe with their clinic and really feel like they're being heard because yeah. a place we, I just don't know how to describe it. We just felt, we felt so unheard there and we felt so uncomfortable there. So we, we didn't, we didn't want to go there and we found a different clinic and we proceeded with three IUIs from 20, uh, 20, well, we started going in 20 and then we had IUIs from 2020 to 2021 that were unsuccessful and everything really looked great for every one of those. And I just wasn't getting, just wasn't getting pregnant, mm. but like the whole cycle, you know, everything looked really good. I had plenty of follicles. It was like un- kind of, what do they call that? Unexplained, unexplained infertility, it, you know, advanced maternal age, unexplained infertility. My partner has had, fa- you know, fathered a lot of kids. I've mothered a lot of kids. So it was always just kind of this like mystery as to why I wasn't getting pregnant, even though, you know, I am older, it, it just didn't, it just didn't really pan out. So that was interesting. Yeah. Um, so everything always looked good, but mm-hmm. So how long did it take to do the IUIs? Like it all together. Mm -hmm. So it was probably like a year, a year and a half. We did take a break for a little bit in like the, 
the fall of 2021 to the basically a year, we took a break of doing anything for about a year, but we were still planning. We decided to do IVF with donor January of last year. So we really like for a few months, weren't doing anything, but I don't know if that makes sense. (laughs) Did you try with your own eggs or do an egg retrieval? So no, we didn't do that. We so we had originally our plan was to work with a doctor in up north in Connecticut, New York City called Rejuvenating Fertility and we just decided to not go that route because it felt like we were piecing all of our care together from all these different places and clinics and sometimes people can can do that, but just thinking about the costs and then just really kind of just thinking about the fact that if we spend all of this money and we go through this whole process and it not work, will we be able to do anything else? And is that really what we want to do? Really feeling called that we really wanted to be parents. And we really felt like the, like our spirit baby was calling and already like waiting there. And it didn't necessarily matter like how they were going to could be conceived and come mm-hmm. through. I can't really describe it. It was a really spiritual process. It was like, we just like things would happen and we would just feel like, oh, that's what we need to do. Or that's not what we need to do. So our original plan was to go to this, this clinic um, up there and do, do the egg retrieval and things like that, because they accepted older clients. A lot of clinics will not do donor eggs with your own eggs past age 45. So that okay. was that was, you know, the, another reason was because the clinic wouldn't do that. So we were left with, do we want to travel and, you know, and do that? And so we were going to do that. And then we decided not to do that. And I can't really describe it. It's just like, we just felt like, no, we just want to, we want to be home. We want to be able to just do, do it here. And that's not the right thing for us. So we actually want to proceed with donor eggs. And we came yeah. to that. And I, I think also we both really felt like, you know, I've, I, I have five biological kids, you know, and so I just thought it would be honestly like kind of a cool experience, like, you know, to, to give it a shot. And it's so weird even, even talking about it because like now, I, I mean, once you have a pregnancy with a child and you give birth to that child and you are nursing and you're spending every, I mean, I don't, I don't feel like Remy is not my child. He's my child. And I don't know if you've ever done any, I'm sure you have because never your situation as well, but studied epigenetics and really looked in to that and all of like the new research that has come out on donor conceived babies and how, you know, what happens inside with how yeah. they are not, they're not, you know, genetically your blueprint, but your genes alter the way that they develop. So it's not like if the donor, if the donor parent and my partner had a baby, it would not be the baby that we have. It's totally different. It is my baby. There's three influences with the baby. There's, there's the donor genetic material. There's the, the part, the dad and, and there's me. So mm-hmm. there's, there's some of all of us in there. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Now, earlier you mentioned a spiritual baby. Does that mean you had any miscarriages? No, I did not have any miscarriages, very fortunately. 
yeah, my problem was not being able to get pregnant in my forties, but yeah, no, thankfully no miscarriages. Yeah. It's so fascinating. Cause I know a lot of times, you know, we see women with children and it's so easy to assume that they can easily have children and it's just not true. Yeah. It was, it was such a different journey for me. It was very, very like taxing mentally and emotionally to have been, I mean, I used to get kind of made fun of in my twenties and my thirties, you know, that don't, don't drink the water that she has, you know, like don't, don't, uh, don't get too close, like fertile myrtle, you know, it was like, how could you be, how can you be pregnant again? You know, (laughs) like, and and go from like my whole thirties, you know, I, that was the last thing on my mind was, was having, you know, having a baby. And then right before I turned 40 with my new partner, it was the biggest thing on my mind. And I was like, this is going to be so easy. You know, this is, this is going to be no problem. And then to have had that, you know, the struggle that I did was really interesting. And we were, we were going to, I mean, we weren't going to pursue it anymore. This was going to be like, we have three, we had three embryos and we had a one failed transfer and then Remy. And if we, you know, if the third one didn't work, we we're definitely going to be going to be done. So, mm-hmm. well, walk us through picking out a donor. How was that experience for you? It was very interesting. Um, it was it was it was really interesting. So, our clinic has the kind of three different ways that you can go about doing it. You can work with their agencies, and they have like two different agencies, and they give you like the information to go in there and pick out a donor that you actually you look through their whole profile and you pick out who you want, and then you actually pay for all of their expenses to travel, to have, you know, to do the the process of the collecting of eggs. I don't know why I'm forgetting what that's egg retrieval mm-hmm. um, and going through that whole process. And then you pay for their travel and they actually come to where we are and they, you know, and they, so they leave their donation with your clinic. And so there's that route through the two different agencies. And then they also have a few, or they had a few fresh donors on site, people that were willing to also go through that process, but they lived locally. Mm -hmm. So they had that bank, Um, that bank only had like three people in it. And then they had some, some frozen eggs. And this would be, you know, from people that were working with the other two agencies that they worked with. And then, so they bought a half, a half lot, which was six, six eggs, or I think that's usually what it is, either six or 12, or if they have way more then they just kind of split it up, you know, Mm -hmm. even further. And they have, they have six eggs, you know, frozen from somebody that, that, had, you know, were successful or not, and then just donated the rest to the clinic. Mm -hmm. So they have all those different ways. And at first we went through the donor agencies because we, that was our first choice was to look through all the profiles and pick. And it was kind of weird at first, but then it was just totally fine. Yeah. It's definitely weird at first, like you're online dating or something. Yeah, it is. It's totally like that. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so at first we really like, we're really looking for somebody that had like my physical attributes. And it's interesting because I kind of hear this a lot too, Mm -hmm. from other people that went through it. And we were just kind of on this mission to, to look, you know, as much like me as possible. And so we went through kind of, you know, several, we had a couple not work out. We had one that we were super excited about. We felt like she looked so much like me that this was just like the coolest thing. Mm -hmm. And she ended up not panning out after like two months, I think, of really thinking that she was. And I can't like describe that. I don't know if you experienced anything like that, but just having to like wait and hear about like, oh, there was this appointment and this didn't happen or that appointment and that didn't happen. But this particular person just kind of, she really just kind of flaked out, like just stopped. (sighs) stopped, like kind of fell off and stopped doing what she needed to do for the process. Uh We're finally like, she hasn't gotten back to us in so long. So I don't think this is going to be available anymore. Uh. (laughs) Gosh, we're going to have to start all over. And we had been, so it was like from February, March, April, so like four months of this. Wow. And we were like, yeah, so, you know, we're just like, okay, let's start over. And then I emailed back to the office just to check on their, their frozen eggs, just to see if they had anything. And I, it was crazy. It was like, she was like, yes, we've had two, two different ones come in. And I looked at their profile and the second one that I looked at, I was like, this is it. Like she, she's the one I was like, she's the one, this is amazing. And I just, I can't describe it. Like, it was like, if I would have written, like, if I would have answered questions, I would have, I would have answered them so much like, like she did, you know? So that was what really, what ended up being more important was like the other donor that we had picked out for so long, she didn't even finish some of her questions. Mm. And I thought about that. It's like, it was, it was definitely like, she wasn't, I mean, you never really know why people want to donate, but she, she didn't take the time, you know, to really answer anything. She wasn't really like dedicated to the process. Mm -hmm. And this young woman was just, I mean, she was, it was, she just had like the, you know, like a paragraph to, for a reply. And she was also, she's also a nurse. I thought that was really cool. And just everything she had to say was so thoughtful and just, just really sweet. And I just was like, yeah, I was like, I just, I felt it. And I sent it to my partner immediately. He was at work and I sent it to him and, you know, we talked about it. And I was like, yep, this is it. I said, I want to secure, I want to secure these. I want to, this is what I want to do. Felt like that was, that was what we were doing, that our, our baby was going to happen from that. That's awesome. And you got six eggs, six frozen eggs. Yes. And three embryos. Yes. That's really good. We only got two out of six eggs. So three, I think is really good. Did they let yours grow for six days? I don't remember. I don't think so. Because a lot of places don't let them grow for six days. Um, And I thought that was really interesting. So with our clinic, they let them, they let them grow to the fifth day. Mm -hmm. And then they use, you know, what they feel like is the most perfect embryo. But then if the other ones are still, if they're still growing, they will actually leave them until the next day. Mm -hmm. 
So two of ours, so Remy and the one that we still have frozen are actually six day embryos, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, so we had um, the first one was the most like apparently like the perfect grade embryo that you that you can have like the picture was like this just it, it looked like like a little mountain in the middle and it was perfectly like everything was symmetrical and it just looked like it was like grade A like AA <laughs> and it didn't work yeah <laughs> and Remy was a was a, a, a Four A B. I can't remember the number because I always get that mixed up with the number is. But it was. But he was a. He, no, he was a B B. He was a B B. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. So, what was the transfer like for you? Yeah. So the I'll just talk a little bit about the first one. Okay. The first one when we went for it the. The test that you have to get that that I got, the hysteroscopy, where they just go in and look at your uterus, make sure you don't have any polyps, fibroids, things like that. And then they do a biopsy with the mock transfer. And the mock transfer is pretty much just for them to make sure that there's no, um, you know, that they can get the small little catheter through to where it needs to go. Mm-hmm. And then they um, check for endometritis to make sure you don't have in, uh, really bad inflammation. So all that checked out and I was scheduled to go, but then I ovulated through. Uh-oh. So I had to have a canceled a cycle. And then they recommended me going on um, Lupron. Mm-hmm. And that's an injectable that will keep you from ovulating, will keep your ovulation down for the next cycle. And so it was interesting because that was obviously never my problem, ovulating, because I ovulated through actually two cycles were canceled due to me ovulating through them. So I was on all the meds, you know, and I still ovulated. Wow. (laughs) So I think that's interesting too. And I think we, I think I might have, cause I'm always, I was always the scientist, like minded, trying to figure everything out the whole, throughout these whole, like four years, trying to, trying to be pregnant. And I think I kind of might have figured it out after everything. So that's another story, but so I, I, uh, I took the Lupron and then the next cycle was not canceled. It was good to go. And that transfer, um, like I said, was with a perfectly graded embryo. And we really were super just thinking like, this is it, you know, donor egg, this egg looks great. Like everything's going great. This is, everything's going to totally work. Like did not think for a minute, like super positive. And then, yeah, got the call that it didn't work and was just absolutely devastated. Mm -hmm like just absolutely devastated and just like, how could this not work? Like this is what's supposed to, you know, work and just really, so yeah, that was really hard. Um, And they immediately said, you know, do you need some time or do you want to, would you want to go ahead and talk about next steps? And I said, yeah, go ahead and let's talk about next steps. (laughs) I'll, I'll hear what you have to say. And so they said, we, we know we want, want you to do this test. That's a little more, uh, you know, that shows more than the original just uh, endometrial or endometrial biopsy. But this one is the Emma Alice test. Mm-hmm. This test for inflammation, but it also tests to make sure that the timing of the progesterone shots is is um, adequate for you for it's that your uterus is receptive to that 
And it also tests for good bacteria and bad bacteria. And that was their recommendation was to just to do that test and then another mock transfer. And so we had, we did that for that cycle. And I found out that uh, I didn't have the inflammation. I didn't have any bad bacteria, but I had absolutely no good bacteria at all. Like it was like zero. Wow. And I am, I, I feel like I take really good care of myself. And I actually was taking probiotics every day and have been for years Mm-hmm. But apparently, you know, there's different bacteria that live in every part of your body. Uh-huh. Um, and there's very specific ones. And the data sheet that they give you for your results actually shows what they're looking for, like what they, what they test for. And I had zero and I'd never even heard of these strains of bacteria. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they wanted you to have at least one or more of, of one of them. And I had none of them. And so they, you know, they said, you can use a probiotic of your choice. We just recommend high quality and make sure it has these specific strains in it. The ones that I have been taking for years did not have any of those strains Mm. in it, oddly enough. So I started taking those probiotics. And then the next cycle, I ovulated through again. (laughs) It was canceled. I got on the Lupron again. Um, and then the next cycle was November 22nd, 2022. And this one, I was almost like, so I had also, I guess I should say the first transfer, I was really scared about moving. And I had been started running with my friend and started exercising more, but I said, oh, I'm, you know, I'm trying to do this and I better, better not be doing all this, trying to get pregnant. So I stopped running. I stopped being active with that transfer. I literally did nothing but just lay around and sleep and was so just like, I just was so like careful of everything. Mm-hmm. But then the second time around, I said, you know, I'm not going to stop exercising. It makes me feel really good mentally. And I'm I'm just going to keep doing it. And so I was running. I did not lay around. I took one nap the day of the transfer after the transfer. And then I started just running and jogging and doing everything that I would normally do. I didn't really think it worked. I was, I was very much like just thinking that it didn't work that time. We were, it's funny. I have this photo and I have this look on my face. You, you can see me that it's like, like the look on my face, <laughs> you know, disappointment. Maybe yeah, I was like, that. like, yeah, it was like, I'm already disappointed, even mm-hmm. though, you know, I, I, it was just funny. I was like, this is not going to work. And I'd actually had the thought that I told Robert afterwards. I was like, I was like, I think that this is just a scam. I think that this whole thing is a scam. I was, <laughs> I was like, and I was very hormonal, you know, I was like hyped up on estrogen and Lupron <laughs> and progesterone and like, you know, the crazy wild mix of all that stuff. And I've never been one to take a lot of uh, medication. I am I am a nurse, but I'm also very natural minded and always try to do the natural thing first. So I've never I've never taken you know that. I mean, most people have never taken those medicines that they put you on when you're going through IVF, but it, they really do make you a little crazy. Mm-hmm. And I was just remember saying to him like like right before the transfer, I was like, I this is just a scam. Like this is all a scam. I think they're just taking our money and they're sweet talking us and like, why are we even doing this? What are we doing? And then yeah, that's the one that worked. 
It's <laughs> funny. So do you wait for the doctor to call you or do you take a pregnancy test at home? I wait. Mm-hmm. I had my, like for four years, I just taken so many pregnancy tests and I just, I don't know. I, both times I just waited for the doctor and they were like, they thought that was so funny. They're like the day you come in for your, my particular doctor, you come in on the eighth day after the transfer, you wait eight days and then you come in and you get your blood drawn that morning. And then you wait for the call and there's a call, you know, by the end of the day, they'll tell you. But they're just kind of assuming that you're going to have taken a test. And I remember when I went in and she's like, um, you know, you, did you take a test? And I was like, no. She's like, really? Did you did you take a test? And I was like, no, I really didn't. Like, I really just want to. I can't. I don't want to do it. I want to. I have to get the call from you. So I don't know what it was about that. But yeah. Do you remember your HGC levels or anything? Oh my goodness. Let's see. I know that they were, they were, they were pretty good. Um, I want to say like, it was like 110 maybe. Okay. I want to say that something like that, something like a, a hundred and something. So we decided to go see a movie and there's like a local like brewery pizza place that, um, that we go to, to watch movies and they, they have, it's like a brewery too. Mm-hmm. And we were watching uh, Wakanda Forever. And I had the phone like in the movie theater. It's like, okay, the phone can't be like loud. You know, obviously we're in a movie theater, but I have to like, I had the phone like right in front of me so I could see, you know, when they called and we're like, I I don't know, they might call during this movie. They might not, but we just have to do something to like keep our mind off of it. And I kept thinking that if I'm not pregnant, I can't wait to have a beer. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> my nerves are shot. Like if I'm not pregnant, I'm totally going to get a beer and just like relax because this is the most like nerve wracking thing. Yeah. And uh, they called and we went outside to take the call and it was, it was November and it was chilly. And uh, yeah, she, she told me and I just like, we, I started crying and he like, he was like, I just, he was like, what we are, we are. It's just that it was so exciting. And I mean, we were just like crying and just like the happiest moment like ever for us. So yeah. In that, in that moment. Yeah. Did your fiance come outside with you from the movies to listen to the, to the nurse? Okay. That's awesome. And how did you feel? Just so excited. Just so, just so happy. Like I just couldn't believe it. And I would have like these days where I would, you know, kind of forget that I was pregnant and Mm -hmm. be like, am I, is this really happening? Like, am I really pregnant? And I would take another pregnancy test and I have like a whole like stack. I just would take them and like, I would text them you know, it's my partner and be like, yeah, he's like, yes, I know that you're pregnant. Like you're definitely <laughs> pregnant. I'm like, I know. I just keep like thinking it's going to go away. <laughs> like, yeah. So just being really nervous, like, you know, the whole time and just really, just really wanting it to stay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, what was the first trimester like? So the first trimester was really good. I had no morning sickness. I had a lot of food aversions, which was, which was weird. And with my, so like in my twenties, I never really had morning sickness either. I feel like maybe with my, my oldest daughter, I had some, but it was never really bad. And I would, it was the kind of thing where I would feel nauseous, but then as long as I would eat something, it would be okay. 
And so with Remy, it was, it was the same way. Like I would maybe start to feel a little queasy, but as long as I just, I tried to eat around the clock, like I really tried to eat like every two hours, some sort of snack that had like a natural sugar and protein. And that's what the clinic recommended too. And I think that really helped like stabilize blood sugar. So that was good. I had major food aversions though. Like I am a meat eater. I love eggs. I eat eggs once a day, sometimes twice a day. Could not smell an egg, touch an egg. Like wanted nothing to do with eggs the whole first trimester. Didn't really want meat a lot. Meat kind of repulsed me. That's where I'm at right now. Yeah. Eggs and meat. I'm like, get those away from me. Yeah. Super weird. So I actually read um, this really interesting article about that Uh because I used to do a lot of like when I had time. Now I don't really have much time to do this, but I would like, I'd have a question and I would just Google it (laughs) like so many people do. But I ran across this really interesting article that talked about like, it's kind of, it's like hardwired in, in us, in pregnant women to not want the things that could possibly make us sick. So like going back to before we were able to preserve and, you know, keep meat good and and eggs good to eat and things like that, like we would be, you know, not able to preserve those. And like, it was our body's natural way of keeping us from the things that could harm our baby. I thought that was really, it's like our, you know, our, our body really hasn't caught up with the times as far as that goes. Like, yeah. Yeah. I almost gagged on a piece of steak the other day at lunch. I'm like, I, but I love steak. Yeah. Meat was just so weird to me. I couldn't really eat it until definitely well into the second trimester. And I was just kind of worried because I was like, I need, you know, I need to be eating meat right now because I want everything to be good, but you're totally fine if you don't. Good. Yeah. I was going to ask you, did you already know the sex from doing the embryos? No, we did not do, we decided not to do genetic testing of the embryos because um, the donor was uh, so young. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, I mean, obviously, you know, with uh, my partner being older as well. So he was 50. So we used his sperm and he was 50 years old. Uh Just saying, rocking it out. That's amazing. (laughs) But no, so we didn't, we didn't know the sex from the embryos. We didn't know until our first ultrasound. Well, not the first ultrasound, but the first one where you could see the sex. That's when we found out. Mm -hmm. Uh, How was that? It was really awesome. So we, um, we did have the NIP testing, NIPT testing, but we just opted out of the finding out the sex. So they, and I actually didn't know that we could have still, because if you don't find out the sex, they don't test for two genetic disorders. <sighs> and I didn't realize that. Like I just meant we don't want to find out, but they actually <laughs> just left that part out. So there were a couple of disorders that we didn't know about. And I found out that later and I was like, oh, okay, well, but so we, it was kind of cute. We wanted to, we're not really like, you know, we didn't plan like a big thing like gender reveal or anything like that, but we definitely wanted to do something. And so we had, my daughter really loves to make my, my younger daughter really loves to make desserts and things like that. 
And so we had her just, we wanted to get ice cream, but us being like so natural minded, we didn't want to get color ice cream, which in retrospect was so silly. We should have just like gotten some blue and pink ice cream to put underneath the vanilla ice cream. But she, we got these natural, I think it was like Tillamook, like Marionberry for the boy and strawberry if, if it was a girl and those ice creams are natural. So they're like not colored at all. <laughs> just have pieces of strawberry and, you know, a little bit of like Marionberry is just this very faintly blue berry, like lighter than a blackberry. So she decided to use food coloring anyway. So she's in there like mixing up food coloring to put underneath the vanilla ice cream and trying to like do this whole thing. And we were waiting and waiting and waiting in the living room, like all of us. And it's taking her forever. And then by the time we get it, it's like soup. Like the picture, the video of it is like, we're like, we're like, this is like this soupy ice cream. And then we're like digging into the bottom. But I actually really thought I was having a girl. I I, I felt like I, I just really felt like I was having a girl. And we had a girl's name picked out. And I, I thought my daughter had said something. We were talking about names. And she had said something like, and it's just going to be, she's the only one that knew. So my daughter was the one to look at the ultrasound to know. Mm-hmm. And she was making this ice cream dessert for everybody she made this comment like, and that's a really good name for a girl. And I was like, oh, she just messed up. So I know that we're having, I know that we're having a girl. And I remember feeling like, well, now I know, and it's not going to be a surprise. And so I was totally surprised when we, I got to the blue because I was like, oh my God, I'm having a boy. <laughs> like, So it's a really cute video. Yeah. It was really cool. We didn't, we didn't care obviously either way. Yeah. And, but we didn't want to wait until birth. We wanted to feel prepared. And, mm-hmm. and so what ratio of, of genders do you have in your family now? So four boys, two girls, and also Robert on his side has four boys or four, four boys and, and two girls. Yeah. How fun. Did you use the same one that you went to in your twenties for your no. midwife care? So as far as like transferring from regular practice from the fertility clinic, you have to put someone down to have your records transferred to. I didn't really want, I purposefully didn't want to choose the big practices around here, kind of that they recommended because I, I wanted to try and even though I my age and IVF, I really wanted to try and have the least interventions as possible. So that's, I just decided to go with our family practice. They have one OBGY in there. And so that's whose name I put on all of the records to be like my primary doctor. But then I decided a few months in, we were kind of deciding what, you know, if we wanted to definitely do that route or if we wanted to do birthing center or home birth. And we actually, like we were talking about earlier, actually our first choice was to go the birth center route. And we went for like orientation and got our little packets and did the tour and everything. And then they called me to let me know that they were not sure if they could take us on and they had to have this meeting about it. And then they got back with us and said that they they couldn't take us on being such a new practice and, and too many risk factors with my mm-hmm. age. Yeah. Now that, that seems crazy to me. And I would love for you to say it again, but she told me earlier that IVF 
and donor eggs and her age risked her out of going to the birthing center. Yes. So wild. Yeah. And I, yeah, I was, we were really, you know, that's what we wanted because we felt like that would be a really good middle ground. I wanted because be, I mean, and I, you know, I was a little more concerned because I'm older and IVF and there are risks in that, you know, but so just going straight for the home birth, I was like, well, this just seems like such a good middle ground. Like I'm just, this is, we just so wanted to do it. So it was, it was upsetting that we weren't able to do it. And a couple of months after that, we decided that we wanted to pursue a home birth. So I got in touch with one of the midwives that I had actually um, had with my twins when I was 29. She wasn't um, my actual mid midwife for the birth, but she's who I started out with. And she just, she had a prior arrangement. She had a birth that she had to attend to in a different state that was planned before mine. But before I could secure a midwife, she was my midwife for the first few appointments in my twenties with my twins. So we definitely knew each other and it was really such a special thing to be able to link back up. And she's actually not like doing a lot of births anymore at all, but decided to take me on. Mm -hmm. And, and be with me. And so our plan was to have a home birth, but we still had our doctor as backup and they don't technically let you have like North Carolina is weird with midwifery. Like the midwife has to be a nurse midwife. So they have to be under a physician and there aren't many of those right now in my area. And the ones that, that do do that were filled up to capacity. So I kind of had to, luckily I had a really great doctor and she was very open. She knew my plan. I did agree to have all of the high risk ultrasounds, but there weren't a ton of them. Like it wasn't like somebody, I was never really, I mean, I, it, I had to go to the practice for high risk ultrasound management, but it really was just ultrasounds. And then a high risk doctor would come in and explain my ultrasound to me after everyone, but that was pretty much the only thing. And nobody ever referred to me as geriatric. Oh, that's um, nice. Really great. I mean, it, it, you know, advanced maternal age was like on my paperwork, but my doctor never made a big deal about it. Like ever, like she was the most like laid back as far as that went. Like she was just so I think that her her children were actually conceived with fertility fertility treatments and so she was just really, you know, open and she knew a lot about it I think. So from personal experience as well. And so yeah, we had a few ultrasounds and I think it was our it was our well it was our very first one. We found out that the placenta was lying low and so that that was normal for that time at like 18 20 weeks that was normal but that you know the we would hope that it would move out of the way by the time I was like, you know, 32 weeks on. And so I had a few more, everything looked great with all of them, except for that. And then it was by the third one, the placenta was still in the way it had moved a little bit, but it was still in the way. So we had to have the talk of, you know, what are we going to do at this point? We would be planning a C-section also because of your age, and I was really, I really advocated for, can we just, we just really want to wait. Like, can we just have one more ultrasound? And they agreed to do that. And that was 37 weeks, 37, it was 36 or 37 weeks. Maybe it was 35. Can't quite remember. 
I think it was 35 weeks and, um, and it was moved out of the way. So got cleared for vaginal birth at that point, got to not have to have any more ultrasounds. Yeah. So sorry. I just went into this long thing when you're asking me about the doctor. So we had our regular doctor and then we had the ultrasound practice and we had my home birth midwife. What about products? Is there anything that helped you during pregnancy that you can recommend? Definitely compression socks. Mm. Um, I did actually exercise my whole pregnancy. I ran two to three times a week until that placenta previa. They told me they did put me on activity restrictions for like two and a half months. I was on where I couldn't have sex and I couldn't do rigorous activities and I couldn't exercise for the placenta previa. Um, So I had to not run during that time. And then by the time I got the restrictions got lifted, I was very pregnant and it felt a little weird to run. So I would just walk two or three times a week. But I actually, whenever I found out or found out whenever he wasn't coming and I was like 40 plus weeks, I actually started jogging again. (laughs) (laughs) Just to try and get him out. Yeah. I was like, yeah, it's fine. I can, I can just jog now. Yeah. So compression socks were really, I I had heard about them. I've never worn them ever in my life, but I'm telling you, they made the biggest difference to be active and pregnant and like no swollen anything ever. Mm-hmm. The time I had swollen um, ankles was when I, I was on a plane, I traveled mm-hmm. and I was on a plane. So besides that though, I, I swear it was those compression socks. And then also I actually follow. I don't know if any of your listeners follow her, if you've heard of her, but Amy Raup Fertility. Don't um, know. It was like my guru from the time that I wanted to start getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. And I followed her and actually really changed like my diet. My really got really into meditation, read the book called Spirit Babies. I don't know if you've seen that book, um, read the spirit baby book, started following Amy Raup and she has a lot of like free stuff. She has a lot of like classes and groups and things too, that are, that you can pay for, but she's got a lot of free information. That's really amazing. So her stuff, yoga, ginger tea, lots and lots of ginger tea in the first trimester. Yeah. Um, and acupuncture. Oh, yes. I do love acupuncture. My appointment is next weekend. I love acupuncture. I haven't been since he's been born, but definitely I'm going to gonna go back probably like six months postpartum. I'm going mm-hmm. to start going back. How does it help you? Like, how do you feel better? It's super relaxed. I usually yes. fall asleep. Me too. Sleep during it. I would really like during my sessions, just just totally relax. And I would try to visualize what was going on. Like if I was trying to conceive or if getting ready for a transfer, or, you know, I would really try to envision like what was happening inside of my body. And it was just such a sweet moment to just lay there and like be envisioning that and then fall asleep mm-hmm. and, and just feel amazing. Yeah. I love that. Now, because you had all of your other kids in your twenties, how did you re- prepare for this one? 
Well, I actually thought that I didn't really need any classes or anything mm-hmm. like that, which in retrospect, I really, I wish that we would have had a class. Okay. Um, we also were really like my oldest daughter was graduating. We had a lot going on right before he was born in like the beginning part of the summer traveling. I actually got really sick. Oh, um, no. I believe it was just from flying, but I, I still don't know what I had. I don't know if I had COVID and I just tested negative or, or what was going on. Maybe it was just altitude sickness, but I was sit one like sicker than I ever have been my entire life being pregnant. And I think so much of it just had to do with being on the plane because my sinuses just got all messed up and it was terrible. Oh. And I remember that was, oh, that was, that was just terrible. And that headache lasted for like a month after. And I kept, you know, you can't take anything. I did take Tylenol. I tried to not take like anything, mm-hmm. but I ended up taking a good bit of Tylenol there with that during that time. Mm-hmm. But how did you prepare for baby this time? Yeah. So I, I guess just lots of yoga, lots of yoga, lots of meditation really helped exercise. I did watch a lot of birth videos, a whole lot of birth videos, including my own. Fun. Just kind of thought that really couldn't have imagined that my experience of giving birth because I really just thought that like I was really prepared. (laughs) So yeah, but I, I did a lot of things with my body and and my mind and spirit for sure. Mm -hmm. How did you... uh, would have taken the classes because I think me and my partner together could have benefited from like doing the classes together. Yeah, I could see that. Now, how did it feel looking back at your birth 20 years ago? It was very, it was very emotional. Like I went probably a good, well, see when I had all of my other kids, all of their births were recorded on VHS. (laughs) So, and I, and not just regular VHS, but like they had all these like mini kind of VHS. I don't know if you remember, like they had mm-hmm. all these different kind of camcorders that had all the different size. <laughs> and so there were some of them I had never seen. Wow. And like my two kids in the middle, I didn't get their actual births because they came so fast. Like my second daughter was born from the time my water broke till the time that she was born in two hours. Wow. My third was like three and a half hours in the very middle of the night. And he was actually born unassisted. His dad caught him because the midwives weren't there yet. (laughs) So there were a lot of uh, really fast births that I didn't even get to see like the footage afterwards because we borrowed a camcorder. And by the time like we, you know, we had it moved, whatever, we just had this tape that we had to put in some sort of adapter to watch that we never got around to. <laughs> this sounds crazy. So I went actually before I was pregnant and I actually, I didn't, I didn't, I watched these like days before we found out that we had a positive pregnancy test, which is kind of cool. But um, I got them all re- uh, converted to a flash drive. Mm-hmm. And so I watched them all and I like have them on my computer um, backed up and stuff now. So that's cool. But yeah, I was like, I w- I felt really empowered and it was just really special and sweet. And I was like, this is amazing thinking about, you know, doing this again and just excited. Yeah. And pregnancy wise, how did this birth at 46 compare to your other ones? It was a lot the same as far as like my health. I was really healthy. I was really active, didn't gain a lot of weight. I was like obsessed 
with not getting gestational diabetes or hypertension. So I bought my own blood glucose test strips and I had an at-home blood pressure monitor and I took my stuff all the time. My doctor actually let me do a natural a natural test for gestational diabetes. So she didn't make me drink the uh, sugar solution. She just made me have a certain amount of carbohydrates. And I opted to not do the quick test, but I did the three hour test like women would do if you had tested positive and then you were coming back because there would be no, there's kind of no question about that one. If you do the longer one, it's more definitive. And so I did that one and I ate just, I count, I can't remember how many carbs it was, but basically I had like, you know, whole grains and natural sugars that equaled the carbs that I was supposed to have. I do think I kind of tricked the test because I didn't realize I went for a walk because I had to hang out at the doctor's office for like four hours or something crazy. Oh God! Um, and so I ate and then I would, I like took a walk. And then for the second one, I was like just walking around the doctor's office. And I, I don't, I never asked about it. I never said, you know, anything because I was like, hey, maybe I, but I, I kept taking, I passed it with flying colors. <laughs> like, they were like, if anything, like, yeah, no, flying colors. You're, it's like you didn't even eat anything. <laughs> That's because wow. I walked. It's because I walked afterwards. <laughs> but uh, I kept taking it, you know, throughout my whole pregnancy because I was like, maybe I did like fake it or not fake it, you know, but like fake out the test somehow. And I just wanted to make sure. So I would take it, you know, every day, all throughout the day and my blood pressure and n- never had any problems with, with any of that at all. So that was very lucky. So in that regard, it was good. I was probably more active than I was in my twenties. Cause I did not used to really ever exercise or anything like that until I got older. Just, I would say more worried though, for sure. More worried, like definitely more anxious, like wondering, you know, how am I going to do this. Like, I don't even remember anything like this is, this is kind of crazy. Like having a lot of like, um, you know, just doubt and anxiety on like my ability to do it all over again. Mm -hmm. And then I guess I didn't mention also like my first trimester, the, what replaced morning sickness was definitely like anxiety and worry Mm -hmm. and kind of like mental stuff. Like I was, I was kind of a mess mentally the whole first trimester. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. (laughs) And so for the birth, are you ready to get into the birth or is there something else you want to mention about the pregnancy? Did you go into labor naturally or did they start inducing you? I was kind of planning to start things along with my midwife Mm -hmm. at around 39 weeks. And so I started taking homeopathics that will just kind of help your body get ready, like energetically, like to let your body know, like I'm ready to give birth. And so we started some homeopathics, which there's absolutely no side effects whatsoever to homeopathy. It either works for or it doesn't. So I wanted to do like the least invasive thing to Mm -hmm. kind of tell my body I was ready. Well, so these are um, homeopathic. So like homeopathic medicine, like the little pellets. Okay. And there were a couple different ones. Colophyllum, that was a that was a big one. Colophyllum. And I believe colophyllum might be one of them. I don't know if it's so colophyllum and like citrifugia 
And one of them is, is black cohosh, but it's not, it's not anything physical black cohosh because I would not recommend anybody taking that. Some people do, but there have been studies that show adverse reactions with that. But the homeopathic version of that is you're not getting any of the physical herb. It's, it's literally, I look at homeopathy as like energy medicine almost, which sounds real woo woo. But like I said, it either works for you or it doesn't. And I I've had, there's certain homeopathic things that like I swear by and others just don't work Mm -hmm. like Arnica cream. I don't know if you've ever used the homeopathic Arnica cream but I swear by that Uh, it's for sore muscles and bruises, strains, like arthritis kind of symptoms. And that stuff is home is there's nothing in that that you would think would work, but I swear you put that stuff on a sore back or a bruise or, (laughs) and it it like helps. Yeah. So it's like either works for you or doesn't, but I started out with those homeopathics and they didn't really work. So I was uh, come 40 weeks, I was pregnant and I was like, okay, this is cool. My, my doctor was like, okay, so what's your plan? My doctor does not, did not want to induce me just because I was older or anything like that. Well, she knew I was planning a home birth um, and she, she does, you know, they, they do have that. If somebody's open to that, they'll do that. But they're, you know, she was very open to my plan and had any complications along the way or anything. And so, you know, she said, well, I just want to hear your plan. You know, how long are you willing to go? And I said, you know, I'm going to go 42 weeks. And then if I still haven't had my baby, I will, I'll do an induction. And I just thought for sure, like for sure, I'm going to have this baby before 42 weeks. Um, So at the 41 week mark, I decided to take castor oil. I'd never, never had any problems going into labor with my other kids, very spontaneous labors and, and quick, most of them. And so I took the castor oil. I would also not recommend that. Um, I have a lot of a lot of friends who that has worked for in the past also did not work for me, but basically just, and maybe I could have taken more of it, but I couldn't imagine have taken more of it because I had diarrhea for like 11 hours. Oh, it was awful. <laughs> I, I, it was awful. So that didn't work. And I mean, this whole time I'm exercising, I'm jogging again, I'm just jogging with, you know, big pregnant belly jogging. And just uh, like running up and down my driveway, I have a huge drive, long driveway. (laughs) I was just doing all this stuff. I did a whole kind of, you know, prayer circle to where I just really sat and, you know, said, I'm ready for you whenever you're ready to come. And the interesting thing is that he was supposed to be a Leo. He was supposed to be born August 9th. He didn't end up being born until August 25th. So that made him a Virgo which I've never had a Virgo baby before and 41 weeks, still not anything, tried the castor oil running up and down everything. Um, And then by 42 weeks, I said, okay, you know, I guess we'll schedule an induction. Well, right before then my doctor recommended having fetal heart monitoring which they, you know, would just normally do in a lot of pregnancies like ours, but I never really had any of that. But for the last week, I did have two sessions of that, two or three, and everything still looked good. Um, there was one one time at the at the ultrasound place where at the very end they saw something, and I had to come back in a couple of days and get another one, and then that one was fine, and so. 
you know, she said, okay, we know we can wait another week. And then I went in, I just kept thinking it was so interesting. Every night I would feel like I was going into labor. I'd be like, this is it every night, every night. And I'd be like, okay, but I'm so like older that I would get tired at night, you know? And so I, I was like, not able to stay up to be in labor, but I felt like, well, if it's real labor, it's going to keep me up. I'm just going to wake up. So every night I would go to bed thinking, this is, this is it. I'm in labor. I'm going to wake up in the middle of the night or wake up in the morning. And I'm going to be in labor <laughs> and every night do that and wake up and then just feel like totally normal the next morning and everything's like totally normal. And so, yeah, it did not, did not happen naturally for me. And so I agreed to be induced at 42 weeks, three days. Wow. Uh, and so my doctor had mentioned something in my, like during my pregnancy that she had looked in my records and seen that I had a leap procedure for my cervix um, on my cervix because I had precancerous cells um, in my early thirties. And they don't, they don't even so much change changes with like gynecology. Like, I don't even think they do leap procedures like they did them, you know, like 17 years ago, mm-hmm. but that, um, like, well, like 15 years ago, I guess it was because my twins were two, I had a leap procedure and it was for precancerous cells. And so they wanted to, they did like a couple of things and it was, you know, they were still there. And so to be on the safe side, I mean, I don't, I don't regret doing it. I'm glad, you know, I don't want to have cancer, but I had this procedure and they, are you familiar with leap procedures? No, I haven't heard of it. So they go in um, and they basically just, they scrape and then they like laser off all of the bad cells that they see, but they, the way that your cervix has to like heal from it, mm-hmm. you, you can have a lot of scar tissue. And so my doctor had just mentioned, you know, sometimes when you have had that procedure and especially because it's been so long, she's like, it might, that may, that may play a role into how you start labor. And I was like, oh, okay, well, hopefully not. And I kind of talked it over with my midwife and one of her colleagues had had the procedure a couple of years before she had, uh, she had a child Well, she actually had twins, but it was just a couple of years since the procedure. So mine happened to be 15 years. And apparently I had a lot of scar tissue that really played a big role um, into me starting labor. So 42 weeks, three days, get admitted into the hospital. And my first thing I wanted to do, I didn't want to go, I didn't want to have Pitocin right away. So I had the balloon, the catheter balloon, balloon catheter that they do. And that is like a a physical way for them to open up your cervix. You know, they go in just like a regular urinary catheter, but instead of um, going through the urethra, they go to up to your cervix. And as the balloon, the balloon is really, you know, they, they put it up there and then they inflate the balloon and it's supposed to help open your cervix. The longer that balloon sits up there, well, it can stay in from like, three to 12 hours. It can only stay in for 12 hours. Mine, they say that it's supposed to like fall out when you're dilated. Like the hope is to get you four centimeters dilated. Mm -hmm. Well, after almost 12 hours, I was three centimeters dilated and they didn't really think much was happening at all because it, I wasn't like, it wasn't just coming out and they would kind of try and tug and it wouldn't come out easily. And then this one nurse actually came in and was able to 
you know, tug just a little bit harder to get it to come out. And they, I was three centimeters. And so I was like, okay, so that was one day when I first got there. And then the next day, nothing. So I thought that would put me into labor. And I actually felt like I was in labor while it was in. And I was like, this is it. I'm in labor. And then they took it out and everything just started to go away. And that night uh, I could not sleep because I was so uncomfortable, like had those monitors that, you know, they keep, they want to keep the monitors on you, even though they're wireless, uh, they're basically like strapped to you. Um, if you don't want the wires, then they strap them to you with the kind of this like belly band thing. And it's just the most uncomfortable thing when you're 40 weeks pregnant to have something stuck to you and just itchy and so uncomfortable. So basically didn't sleep all that night, but I had a birthing room with a birth or with a birthing tub. So I had a big tub in the room. The hospital that I gave birth in doesn't allow you to actually have a water birth, but they have rooms with a tub to just um, labor in, but you're not supposed to actually have the baby in the tubs. I was using that tub to just try and relax and be able to go to sleep. And I must have gotten maybe like, I don't know, I could not sleep that whole night because the monitors were going off. I remember asking a nurse, can you please just, can I take these things off? And like, I think that's what it was. I was like, can I take these things off? I just have to get some sleep, you know, totally not used to this environment, like at all, (laughs) like never did not want to have, did not want to have a hospital birth. She finally did and got the okay for that. I took the bath. I was able to relax. I got a few hours sleep and then the doctor's in the next morning. My doctor's letting me know that she's leaving. And so the other doctor of the practice that I met one other time is going to end up being my doctor that I've only met one time. <laughs> but she is she is amazing. Um, she actually worked for a different practice that was more um, like holistic based and that didn't take insurance. And it was kind of like a wellness kind of thing where people pay a monthly membership to, mm-hmm. to go there. So she she was great. She was really great. But just, you know, that in, in that moment, like, it's not even going to be my doctor, like, you know, all that anxiety that comes with that. Yeah. And then, you know, we talk about the plan. The plan is, okay, well, I guess I'm going to start Pitocin today. And, um, you know, thinking, okay, I really don't want to do this Pitocin thing. But I, uh, you know, this is where I'm at, ready to, ready to have this baby. And I was like, it's, you know, probably just going to take a little bit of Pitocin, like not really knowing a lot about Pitocin, not a labor and delivery nurse, not really in this realm. Like, I don't exactly know all about this, but I've heard it's really strong and I'm sure it's just going to take a little bit. (laughs) They start you at, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm forgetting this right now. They start you at a... I think like two or three units per hour of Pitocin, something like that, really small. Mm -hmm. Um, They can go up to 20. That's just like the standing order. Mm -hmm. And past that, they have to get, at least at this hospital, um, past that, they have to get another order for Pitocin. And I started Pitocin at 11 a.m., And I am bouncing on the ball, like so excited. Like my friend comes to visit, walking around, didn't hardly eat any sugar my whole pregnancy, but she's like, just eat some Oreos, like gluten-free. I'm I'm gluten-free. That's something I did to prepare for pregnancy like four years ago. And I've been ever since gives me these, like brings me these gluten-free Oreos. (laughs) It's like, eat these Oreos, you know, you're about to go into labor and this is what I did. And just all these silly little things. So excited, so excited, ready, ready, ready. And no labor, 
for hours and hours and hours and hours. And finally, even with the Pitocin, with the Pitocin. Yes. Wow. Um, Oh, and I guess I should go back a little bit and mention that my midwife swept my membranes three times and I was kind of scared to do it, you know, because I didn't want to go into labor so quick before I just wanted everything to happen naturally. But we ended up before the hospital doing that three times. And then my doctor did it one time. And then when I got to the hospital, I had the balloon catheter and then the doctor did it again. (laughs) So (laughs) it was like, and every time she kept checking and I wasn't dilating like at all and labor was not even happening until about, oh, so with the Pitocin, it got to 20 and they had to get another order to go up on the Pitocin. And so it, they kept going and it was, it didn't start. My labor didn't start until it was up to 28 units. Oh my uh, gosh. So it was like a lot of Pitocin and thinking about it now, like I would, I would recommend like anybody who's at the hospital getting Pitocin to request that they give your body a little bit of time in between because you can ramp it up every 15 minutes. And so every 15 minutes, they were like, okay, you're not really in labor. You're not really in labor. Okay, let's just keep going, 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 going. And then they hit that 28 mark. And I was just all of a sudden in labor. And it was like, I was really excited. And then it, it, you know, it started and, but it was like, you know, an hour, two hours into it, maybe longer. You have no concept of time when you're, when you're in labor. So I really, I can't really know about time. But I just know that it went from like being like somewhat manageable (laughs) to being like absolutely out of control really fast. And I just kept thinking that, oh, sorry, I'm backing up again. So with the whole process of these two days trying to go into labor, I was, and this is kind of, I'm definitely, this is a lot of information like TMI maybe, but this is what happened is I was losing like tremendous amounts of tissue before labor. And I was having, I was having like a period, which bloody show is usually kind of like this one, this one thing, you know, this one moment or either right before the baby comes, but I was losing so much blood and tissue, like trying to get into labor. And it was because of my cervix. So my cervix was like completely unresponsive because there was so much scar tissue. Mm -hmm. So I had like days of trying to get rid of all this scar tissue before I actually would start dilating. Wow. And and so I kept thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm really in active labor because I don't ever remember like losing blood until right before the babies were born, mm-hmm. you know, or maybe just a little bit like the day before or whatever, you know, when they what they call bloody show. But this was just so interesting because I kept thinking, oh my gosh, you know, this is about to happen. This is about to happen. I'm like, nope. I mean, and it was just all night long and the labor was the most intense labor uh, that I've ever experienced. Like it was, it was, I mean, I was very much, you know, in that zone of, even though I was hooked up to Pitocin and fluids which I'd never been before. And these monitors, you know, I, I did, I feel like I did a really good job really just being inside of myself and trying to, you know, hone in on, on the spiritual presence that was going to help me get through this. 
And I was able to do that for, for a good long time. Then somewhere at some point, it was just, I was so tired and everybody around me was so tired. And it was, it was like, I kept thinking he was going to be born. I was like, this is it. This is it. Cause this, the pain that I was experiencing was like the pain that I remember having right before the other kids were born. And I always said, I said, people are like, how can you have that many kids naturally at home with like nothing? And like, how do you do that? I'm like, because they were fast. Yeah. Like they're fast. I was like, if I ever had to go through like a days in, in the pain that I had right before they were born, like, I don't know if I could do it. And that's like really what this ended up to be. It was like, it was so long. It was like, you know, technically in labor for like days, but like active labor where it was so crazy, like 12 hours. Yeah. And then like, I was so tired because I'd been going on like, geez, like four hours sleep you know, in the last few days. And it was, I mean, nothing like the pain that I experienced with my other kids. They actually did an ultrasound during my labor just to check on his position. And he had actually turned. Uh So he was was having back labor. He turned posterior somewhere like on the way down. He was, he was turned posterior and I'd never had back labor before. And so I was having back labor, which is the most excruciating thing. It felt like a train was driving through like my lower back bottom, like through like my butt, basically. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It was, and he, he wasn't, they kept checking me and checking me and checking me. And I was like, you know, I got to like seven centimeters and I just wasn't moving. And it just felt like so long we tried to get some nitrous oxide because I guess the hospital has nitrous oxide. They weren't able to get that. I just, I was like, you know, passing out. And then with every contraction, just like screaming. And I was doing the whole like low moaning, like, you know, I'm pretty sure I kept the whole hospital like up, like everybody knew like that girl that's in room, whatever, like she's <laughs> like, like it was just, that's all I could do, you know, for the pain was like, I would, I could not relax at all. I was just trying to like take naps in between. I was throwing up like nothing like, like having my other kids. It was just, oh, we, it got so hard. And my midwife was actually, cause my, my home birth midwife came with me to the hospital as my doula. So at the hospital, she was my doula and we did, you know, all kinds of really amazing stuff. And it was just all this very beautiful, amazing thing until it just got so tough. Yeah. And she was like, you just need, you know, you need to be able to relax to get this baby out. You need to be able to relax. And I could not relax. The pain was so bad. I just, I just couldn't relax. I had like exalted all my efforts to just relax. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, she actually said, I've, have you thought about an epidural? That's what I was going to ask. I was like, how can my midwife be suggesting me get an epidural? The opposite. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I was very against it at first. Mm -hmm. Um, And I must've labored for like a couple more hours. And I mean, I was just, I was crying. I was just, I've, you know, just never been in so much pain in all of my life. And I was, I thought at one point, like I was, I got really scared towards the end and that wasn't anything that had happened to me either. I, you know, I was worried about, I was worried about the baby and I was worried about me. And I was just like, I don't know if I can do this. Like what is happening? 
you know, I feel like I don't have the energy. And then finally I I was just like, I was like, yes, give me the epidural, give me the epidural. But I was, you know, I was scared of the epidural. I've never wanted that because I'm just scared of that whole process. So that was really scary for me. My partner actually passed out as I was getting it. He was having a moment and he passed out, like totally fainted. So fell on the floor. It, well, like in his own lap, like okay. <laughs> so, not in the floor, but having to like be so still. And I remember I just kept thinking like, how am I supposed to be still when I'm having these contractions and just like praying, like, please just let me be able to be still and like this whole thing be okay. And it was just so different. It was so like, it was just so scary. I just, that's the only way I can describe it. It really was scary for me. But man, I got that epidural and I, I guess, so one side of me did not get numb and I could still feel. And so they gave me a little more and then I was like, yeah, definitely can't feel anything. I just feel like, you know, this like pressure when they would like, you know, touch, it's kind of hard to describe. You just, you just feel like this pressure, but you don't feel any pain. And so I was like, I was like, okay. And I was so tired. I was so tired. I just fell asleep. And then I was like, because that's what they wanted. They were like, you know, maybe you you just need to kind of take a nap and you just need to be able to relax. And then we'll, we'll, we'll visit this in, you know, in a few hours. And so, um, I, and I think my midwife also really thought they, I forgot to mention, they came in towards the beginning of the labor, um, and were the, his heart rate was doing some things and they came in and were already like wanting me to sign a consent for a C-section. And they were, and you know, all these people were in the room talking to me about C-section and I'm so grateful for the nurses that I had because they just came right in, they moved me and then his heart rate got back to normal. Oh, good. And, yeah. And so that was another thing as the position that I had, had given birth in, or at least labored in for most of my other kids was the hands and knees position, like hands and knees with my head kind of like on the floor. Mm-hmm. And every time I would get in that position at the hospital, he, his heart rate would decelerate his heart rate. We would have this, what they call late D cells. Those are the ones that they worry about. And every time I would get in that position, that would happen. Wow. And so think about like a home birth that's probably happening, but you're not monitoring it. And then you're getting, they're about to come out. And so it's okay. But in the hospital setting, you know, you're, you're being monitored the whole time. So I couldn't use that position. And it was so hard for me because that was like my biggest pain coping, you know, position and, and I couldn't use it. So they, I really feel like my midwife, that was another one of my really big fears is that I thought, you know, I just didn't want to have a C-section. Obviously, if you have to have a C-section or even if you plan to have a C-section, that's totally fine. Everybody is their own individual journey, what they want to do, what they need to do. Everything's totally fine. But just like for me, I was really scared of that. I was just really, really scared of that. And I think my midwife kind of saw that coming because I was so exhausted and because it had been so long. And I really think, I think that she was really looking out and she was just really trying to be like, well, let's just try and do this and see if, see what happens, you know, yeah. even this is not normally what we would do, mm-hmm. but, and so I fell asleep and I, I honestly thought it was going to be a lot longer and uh, they were waking me up. It was like an hour, an hour later, they were waking me up. The doctor was waking me up. She says, well, you're 10 centimeters dilated. Let's push this baby out. 
<laughs> it's like, oh my God, I thought I was going to get to sleep for longer. <laughs> like, what do you mean? So it was like, okay. I was like, I've never done this before. Like the total, like, uh, you know, you can't feel anything. So you got it. You're just laying there. And so, you know, like legs in stirrups, like, and, you know, a million people in the room and like they had the NICU, you know, just in case something was wrong with him. And like my mom was there. She had never been to any of my other births, my partner, the whole room of like the high risk people and just, I mean, the whole room was filled with people. And luckily I think the, I think the lights were actually dimmed. They didn't have the bright lights on, which was very thoughtful. Yeah. Um, my friend, my one of my best friends, she was going to record the birth if we were having a home birth, but in the hospital, they won't let you record the birth. But I'm so happy that she did what she did because she totally recorded it. She just recorded it on her That's great. Phone, which is really special. I'm so glad she did that. So she shows up like literally right before he's born and, and takes a video. But yeah, I was just, I had to push him out. And I'm like, well, I was like, how am I going to push him out? I can't feel anything. Like, and so they just totally like, you know, coached me through it. Like, okay, you're having a contraction that, you know, they leave the Pitocin on. So you continue having contractions and the nurse would just tell me, you know, okay, you're having one and, you know, time to push. And I tried to use my really deep, you know, uh, moaning skills instead of like the other stuff that you can do apparently that's not as effective getting the baby out, which I, you know, I only pushed out my first child being my first, you know, pregnancy and first childbirth. That's the only one that I ever actually pushed out. The other ones, they, they literally just, they just came out with a contraction. I was kind of like bearing down and just like, ah, and they just came right on out. Wow. it was very interesting, totally different. You know, I had to be coached and and he came out, I guess, pretty, I mean, it didn't really take that long. I can't quite remember. I want to say maybe, maybe 40 minutes, like 30, 40 minutes. Yeah, that's not bad. And it was just this most bizarre sensation. And just, I was so exhausted. And, and obviously it was like, you know, one of the happiest moments of my life. I thought he was actually never like the buildup of him actually being born was like, well, getting pregnant, you know, always said it was like, it took forever to get pregnant with him and it's taking forever to, you know, took forever to give birth to him. But yeah, he was, he came out and he was super healthy and so what was important to you after he came out? Skin to skin, delayed cord cutting, any of that? Yes, all of that. All of that. And so it was interesting, like at the hospital, they really made a really big deal, which I mean, they should. It was, it's something that you have to worry about. And of course, they don't want to be responsible for anything, but hemorrhaging. They talked to me this whole um, hemorrhaging spiel. And apparently I was a very high number on the hemorrhage index. Like they just, it was almost like they just kind of manifested me to hemorrhage (laughs) because they were just expecting me to because of all these things. So I had to kind of agree for all these things that would happen if I hemorrhaged. So I actually, so weird. I, I hemorrhaged, but not technically. But I was losing blood after birth, which 
I mean, you're, you're losing blood after birth, but I was losing more than they would like to see. And so it became kind of, it became like a, a big deal right after he was born. So I would have liked him to, to delay cord clamping for a lot longer. My plan was to just have it connected all the way until we went home, <laughs> but they, they had to cut it. It had stopped pulsating. So, but I think it was just like a few minutes after he was born that, that, that we cut it because I was losing that blood and they were really trying to figure out for quite some time how, um, where it was coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up having to go to the OR shortly after him being born as well, because after all of that, I ended up in this like hemorrhaging situation, not, not bad enough to have to receive blood, but they could not figure out where it was coming from. So they took me to the OR just to be under the lights and to be able to just see, get a clearer picture of what was going on, Mm -hmm. um, so I got whisked away to the to the OR, um, which was a whole other like frightening experience. And uh, you know they let me wheel. He was with me nursing all the way up until uh, you know I got in the room, and then the other nurse took him out, and I was away from him for probably only a little over an hour. But I was just I was just so scared. I've never so I will say I so I work at a hospital. I am a nurse. I'm a psychiatric nurse. I did start in neuro. So I, you know, I am comfortable working in a hospital, being in a hospital. I myself have never been to the hospital for any kind of care ever. When I was smaller, most of my family members, only time we ever went to the hospital when was when someone was like critically ill. So going to nursing school and that whole, you know, journey of, of my career acclimated me into being comfortable enough in hospitals, but me actually ever having, I've never had, you know, any kind of experience like that. And I was just scared to death. Honestly, I thought that, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, he's okay. Okay. I know he's okay. Well, like, am I okay? Like, am I going to be able to, to, you know, have this experience with him or something happening to me right now? And so, but I was okay. They actually stitched my cervix, that dang cervix. That was like all, all the problems. They said they actually, they used the word tattered. They said that it was in rough shape afterwards, that it was like, it was, it was very rough. Like it it had to go through so much. And so they had stitches on my cervix. I've never heard of anybody ever having stitches on their cervix, but I did. And then, you know, they were satisfied with my bleeding, getting under control and never had to have blood or anything. And so I got to go, you know, back and and be back with him. Never been so exhausted in all of my life. But yes, cord clamping was important to me, but it, it wasn't, it didn't end up being like a, you know, a big deal. Yeah. Now I saw you had a picture of your placenta. Did you save that or anything? Did. Yes, I saved it. I had saved my placenta with all of my other kids, except for my second. My daughter's accidentally got kind of it just taken away from the house, I guess, by the midwives. They didn't know I wanted to keep it. Um, but all the other kids, I, I have a like a placenta story. So my first, um, I ate his placenta mm-hmm. with my first. Like pills or like something no, else? We actually, we um, sauteed it with onions and garlic and I ate it like liver and onions. How did it taste like liver and onions? 
So um, I was a vegetarian, oh. <laughs> but I decided to eat my my own placenta. I was very young and, you know, just uh, I was very into other cultures. I mean, I still am. I mean, just learning about other cultures and a lot of other cultures, that's, that's what they do. They'll have like a little meal with their placenta afterwards. And it's supposed to give you, you know, everything that you lost. I didn't feel as drawn to that or making placenta medicine because the placenta did not technically form from me. Um, So I didn't feel like that was taking away from my body. Mm -hmm. Um, I was very grateful for it. But, and, you know, I didn't feel like I needed to consume it. It, With my second, you know, like I said, it got lost or got lost. The midwives took it, didn't realize I wanted to keep it. My third, I did do the placenta medicine where you char the placenta and you put it in capsules and you take that to replenish energy and things like that to help with like bonding with your child and things. So I did that with my third and with the, with the twins, I just saved the placenta for 11 years. (laughs) How did you save it? In, in my freezer, I was actually part of a Facebook group called I've had a placenta in the freezer for 10 years. <laughs> it's really silly, just like really silly because I'd, I, we moved a lot and I wanted, my goal was to plant it. And I, I just never really felt like we were at a place to plant it, but the house we live in now, my twins are 17. Now when they were in the fifth grade, we finally planted it in the backyard under a blueberry bush. <laughs> Now, going back to your first one, I'm I'm so fascinated. How did it taste? It tastes really good. Like I said, I was a vegetarian, so it was super weird for me to like, you know, my family was like, why do you want to do that? You're a vegetarian. That's so weird. I'm like, well, it's it's from me. Like, and I mean, I was just really up for the the experience, I guess. And I remember it making me feel really good. I don't know if that was just kind of psychosomatic or like what, but I remember feeling like definitely wasn't, I was also only 21 years old. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, I was like bounced back super quick. Like, uh, you know, like just like nothing like Mm -hmm. after, you know, giving birth at 21, but I remember having a lot of energy and never, you know, never really being tired and I wasn't sleeping. And just, I remember being like, wow, that's exactly what I needed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will say as far as Remy's placenta, I decided to do placenta prints with it this time. Which is, um, so we kept it, you know, in a cooler um, on some ice and I didn't really get around to it for a couple of weeks, but you basically just take it out and it's a really, it's a very spiritual, like amazing thing. I would highly recommend it to save your placenta and really like spend time with it Um, Uh because of of different cultural traditions, they say, you know, that the placenta is kind of like the, the twin I actually, with my other kids too, had placenta readings with them where Uh um, they had a, one of the midwives, elder midwives in the community many, many years ago when I was having my kids read placentas and she would come and visit you and lay out your placenta. And there's a maternal side and a fetal side. And she would go over um, all the different, where you see all the different veins in the placenta, they look like a tree of life. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they form all these different like paths and she'll go into like the spiritual journey of your child based on what the placenta looks like, like this representation of like kind of how they will be in the world. Mm -hmm. 
and where they came from. And so I had that with my second or sorry, with my third and with my twins. And so I reached out for that, but I don't think that she's around and she's not around this area anymore and wasn't able to make that happen for, for Remy, but I did save it and kind of do that kind of myself, just kind of look at it and really get my hands on it and just spend some time with it. It's a very, very spiritual, sacred, sacred thing to do. Just giving thanks and spending that time with it. And the prints, um, I didn't do mine in any really special way. There's all kinds of really fancy ways to do it, but I just got a big, some big pieces of poster board and just made sure that I printed it on both sides. I would have liked, so they, I didn't get the whole umbilical cord. So if anybody wants to do this at the hospital, I think that they take part of the cord and they do cord sampling and they test it at the hospital. And I never remember giving consent for them to do that. But I remember when I did clinicals at the hospital, seeing all the little cords in like the sample cups. So I'm pretty sure they just do not, not many people want to like take their placentas home with them like me. So I think they just have always done that for years. And if you don't tell them that you don't want them to do that, they just do it. So I was surprised to see that my, the the whole cord wasn't there. I only have like a piece of the cord with the placenta, which I was a little bummed about because I wrote, I wanted to have his whole cord because I always have with my other kids, but, but I have a piece of it. And, um, and so you just lay it out all bloody and you make prints. And then I want to revisit it, you know, at a later time and paint and, you know, make a painting with it, but that'll be in the future. And then I just froze it, froze it for, to plant for later. Uh-huh. Good. <laughs> I'm looking at photos online of placenta prints. And so you're saying that the blood is kind of like the first print and then mm-hmm. you go later and paint it. You can, you can do that or you can just paint it and do prints from the paint. Yeah. People do it all different ways. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I do like the, the planting it. I know it's, it's, Seems kind of weird to people maybe, but it's, it's really special to me. I love it. I really, yeah. It's like giving thanks. Thank you for carrying my baby through this journey. Yeah. And they, you know, as, as we get older, they always talk about, well, like if you don't use donor eggs and you're older and it's your own placenta, they always worry about like the placenta degrading. And then if you use donor eggs, they worry about your body rejecting it towards the end. So that's also, you know, it was like, well, this, this placenta is totally healthy and beautiful and normal. And my body did not reject it so much to where I didn't have my baby until 42 and a half weeks. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's great. Was there anything else you want to mention about the placenta before we go into your recovery? I I don't think so. Okay. Well, how was your recovery? So I would say it's definitely a little or a a lot less quick than when I was in my 20s, for sure. We had some breastfeeding challenges, Mm -hmm. which I was also really not prepared for. I mean, prepared for in the sense that I've studied, I've studied them and I knew what to look for. 
and so I, I knew I had all this knowledge in my head of like what to look for and what to do, but not thinking that that would be me at all. Like never really had any challenges with my other kids, just kind of popped them on the boob and went, you know, but definitely having, he had tongue tie, lip tie, and just all these different things. And so it was, it was, it was pretty rough in the beginning. So there was that. And then, you know, even though I, I knew at the time from my birth, it, it, and especially now definitely know that it needed to happen the way it happened, having total gratefulness for everything, but definitely right afterwards, after like, you know, a few days passed, definitely kind of struggling with the fact that like, oh, I'm kind of a failure because I didn't have him naturally. And I, you know, if I would have just waited a little bit longer, like maybe I could have just had him naturally. And so having that, and then just feeling like it it did feel, feel traumatic for me, the birth, even though like to a lot of people that would not be a traumatic birth at all, but we're also different, you know, and experiences and perception and coming from the place that I, you know, came from, it felt traumatic. Yeah. It's not what you really wanted either in the first place. Yeah. And just worrying like about just worrying about him. I don't even, I don't remember being so worried and anxious, you know, um, that postpartum. So it took me, it took me a lot longer to kind of come back to myself and like have a little bit more faith. Yeah. It was kind of a mess. (laughs) So yeah, I get that. Yeah. It is way more tired, like so much more tired. And my, like the soreness of my body, like from all the positions that I was in. And I was doing a lot of this, like hanging over things with my arms. And like, I was sore for like two weeks. My body was sore from giving birth. Wow. (laughs) Even though I like exercised all the time. Yeah. I was sore and it was hard to like, just, it was hard to do things. Like I was, I was just a lot more sore. Yeah. Yeah. And how are you today? Good. Yeah, definitely good. Definitely getting back, you know, feeling like my definitely not sore anymore. Mm -hmm. I wake up a little sore, honestly, every day (laughs) from nursing uh, so much and things and just being older, like my body's definitely more sore in general at times, but not sore from the birth. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I, so I could tell that he had a tongue tie in the beginning days after he was born and he didn't have the one in the very front that like the doctors diagnosed, but he had a posterior one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of felt like that was going on and I wasn't really feeling all that hurt in the hospital with that. And I just felt like he wasn't, you know, I could tell that his latch wasn't good. I had really sore nipples. So I had like sore nipples, crack nipples. So I was in pain nursing and that had never happened before. So when he was nursing, it was hurting because he didn't have a good latch and I had already had damage to my nipples. So having to deal with that in just like the first few days after birth was like hard. So it kind of compounded everything. Mm -hmm. Um, So I started supplementing with donor milk um, in the hospital and that was super helpful. And yeah, we have, we still supplement some with donor milk. So he's exclusively uh, fed with breast milk, mainly my milk, but we, we still use some donor milk. And yeah, that was just a really... That was just a very hard process, but I'm really grateful for donor milk. I'm grateful that we, that we live in a community for that. Um, yeah. And I, 
you know, I didn't want to have to go to formula as my first choice. So yeah, that's great. Good with all that today though. So I'm really grateful. Did for the tongue ties, what needed to be like corrected there? Yeah. So they, they do, uh, well, you have an evaluation with a pediatric dentist. And so we started going to occupational therapy actually with him that some of my lactation mentor mentors recommended to us. And so they do like body work with them. And then they recommend, you know, if they think you might want to be seen by a pediatric dentist and his was bad enough to where they wanted him to go to the dentist. And then he had a a stage, a grade three or stage three tongue tie and lip tie, which is like one away from the kind of the worst you can have. And it just really limits the, it limits the way that the tongue is supposed to do all of its things like on multiple levels. And then later it can limit like speech development. So it is good to have it corrected. I think we got it corrected pretty early at three weeks and it wasn't like the kind of night and day difference that, that some people have. But gradually over time with the occupational therapy exercises and things, it it helped for sure. Mm -hmm. Did they have to cut it or anything like that? So they, so if they have like a traditional anterior tongue tie, then the, they can snip it, but his was posterior. So like, instead of right here, they, it's actually where the tongue attaches in the very back bottom. Mm -hmm. And so he had a a pretty thick little spot. They laser it. So they laser Uh. it at the pediatric dentist and it is very, very quick. They, they numb it and then they laser it. It's takes like 10 minutes, but it was very traumatic. He didn't actually cry during it. Okay. Well, they take them into a room and you're actually not with them for like five or 10 minutes. And that's really, really hard but we didn't hear him cry. You can hear the cry and we didn't hear him cry. And they're like, they're like, he didn't cry. And they're really sleepy afterwards. And, and it was, it was just, it was so hard. Like looking back, I would probably wait. Like if I have to go through that again, I would probably wait till he's a little bit older. Cause it was just so hard to see him in pain with being so little. You know, Mm -hmm. like, you know, they're okay. But then that on top of like all the other stuff that we went through just made it like, oh my gosh, here's another thing to like be upset about and worry about, you know, but he was totally fine. It was really just, I mean, he really only cried like that for the, like for three days and definitely not all the time. Just when we had to do his little exercises with him. Yeah. So long kind of recovery for that. Cause there's about two months that you have to do these different kinds of exercises for them. Mm-hmm. But, but he graduated from all that. So oh, good. Is- well, do you have any plans to have more kids in your forties? So we actually, we do have that one embryo. Yeah. So we're, we're going to see, we're going to see how things go. I think that we we're definitely open to it though. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny. We actually, we kid around, we kid around about about Remy's little sister a lot. <laughs> so we're, I think we're like, I idealistically excited about that and want that, but we'll like, we'll see how things go mm-hmm. because it definitely has been, you know, it's, it's definitely been a little bit harder in, in yeah. our forties and my partner's 51 now. So, so fun. <laughs> and you we'll have kind of time. See how the next like couple of years go. <laughs> yeah. And what has been your biggest challenge being pregnant in your forties? 
Probably, I would say probably the, the worry, the worry. Yeah. Because before it was like, kind of like, I just, I just had total faith in the process and I wasn't worried. And then having to like go through so much to get pregnant and then just worried, you know, to stay pregnant and just, just worry. Yeah. I think just the worrying and anxiety piece for sure. That's the biggest thing. Yeah. Of course, the labor, the labor was, was definitely hard, Yeah, um, but I wasn't like expecting that. And I don't think that most, you know, I will, I don't think that everybody has to have a really hard labor in their forties, but for me, it was. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you'd recommend that would help prepare someone for pregnancy and birth? Definitely. I think meditation for sure. I would definitely recommend checking out that Amy, Amy Raup fertility, checking out her stuff, especially if people have some underlying like autoimmune issues and things like that. I think I, I was having a lot of inflammation and a lot of things going on. And then the the bacteria situation. I had no good bacteria. Um, a lot of, I would really get in touch with your health, kind of try to dive in and figure out what's going to make you the healthiest and, you know, to make it possible. And then just meditating and checking out that spirit baby book and kind of seeing, you know, if, if there's a, a spirit out there for you. And if you, if you um, are so called to find the spirit connecting and, you know, just really getting really spiritual about it and, and then having, trying to have the faith and trying to not like occupy your time and not like obsessing over getting pregnant, you know, finding, finding what you enjoy doing. Like for me, for that last like few months, it was running. I really like running gave me joy and I, I was forgetting, I was doing all the things, but I wasn't thinking about them all the time. If that makes any sense. Yeah. It makes a big difference too. Yeah. Just um, finding the fertility clinic that you feel like hears you and that you feel comfortable with. Now you mentioned earlier that you had it all figured out. Definitely acupuncture. (laughs) Oh yes. I love acupuncture. Earlier you mentioned that you had it all figured out. Do you want to go over that? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, when discussing how it took me so long to start labor and go into labor, the cervix, the cervix, the way it was and thinking that like, if it was so scarred, then possibly sperm couldn't get through. Possibly. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah. So just possibly. And because I didn't mention like with all of my workup that I had, I had, I had the, I think it's called the HSG that where you have, and they go in and they, they just put the, the saline catheter and you see, you know, it go through or not go through your fallopian tubes Mm -hmm. to make sure tubes are open. So there's that test for tubal patency. So I had that test. Um, the first time I had, it was 2020, the fall of 2020. And it did show that one of my tubes or no, it was, it was both of them that it showed that I had, that I had a blockage and the dye or the, the fluid that they show goes through. And it like, it just kind of disappeared after, you know, before it got out. So they were like, okay, this procedure might actually help open it up because it didn't look like it, they weren't completely blocked and they were, they were, you know, semi-blocked in the, in the part where they thought that, you know, it's better. Cause I guess there's another kind of blockage to where it's, it's a lot worse. So it wasn't that, 
wasn't that one, but I decided to have, um, I also thought that I was dealing with endometriosis. And so I actually had a laparoscopy for them to go in and just check everything out and look at everything. And while they did that, just thinking this for sure, I'm going to have endometriosis because I had really painful, hard periods for a couple of years too, during all the fertility journey. But when they went in, they also did a, a thing to test for tubal patency and they were totally clear. One of them was a little sluggish and they had to put like more dye through, but they were, you know, it wasn't, it was considered like bilateral tubal patency. Like it's fine, you know? So I'd had all of these, basically I had all these tests, all the workup, everything always kind of showed everything was looking normal. Hmm. So I just kind of wonder with, I mean, that's kind of my, I just, I just kind of wonder with that, all of that scar tissue and all of that blockage that I had that maybe it just couldn't, I mean, sperm are really, really tiny, I know, but I don't know, just yeah. maybe that has something to do with it, mm-hmm. some factor. And what advice would you give yourself when you're pregnant, if you could go back? Oh, I would definitely tell myself to just relax more and enjoy it. And I, I did it really and try to enjoy it for the most part. But there were there were times, especially there towards the end, I was just so angsty. I was like, when is this baby coming? Like, I can't believe, you know, this hasn't happened yet. And just being like so worried and angsty and yeah. just wishing that like I had. But uh, yeah, just, you know, wanting to relax and and just really like really try to do like some really nice things for yourself, like, you know, spa day, like, yeah, just have, try and have faith in the process and know that they, the baby is eventually going to come out for sure. Mm-hmm. And just relax and have faith in that and maybe sleep a little more, but you know, it's, it's easier said than done. Cause when you're in that time and place, you, you can't really do that. You're just, you're where you are, you know? Yeah. But if I could go back, I'd be like, just relax, just relax. Mm-hmm. And would you like to share your Instagram handle so we can connect with you? It's, so it's Janice, but it's J-A underscore nice five. And that's just, that's what it is on Instagram. I just have a personal Instagram. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Janice. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. I, I just, I'm so grateful to be able to share this story with you. So thank you so much. And thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a great week and I will see you next Monday.
little buddy just woke up. Aww. Is he... Is he... Hi, buddy. <laughs> Say hello. He's hungry. He is hungry. Yeah. <laughs> Baby just had a big blowout. 